Hey, this is Michael Waltrip. When you start your hiring process, you may have questions. Will you find good applicants to choose from? What about education and experience? And how will you know you've made the right hire? Indeed is here to help. Millions of great candidates use Indeed every day to find their next opportunity. You can post a job in minutes and use screener questions to help you create your short list of applicants fast. Also, add skills tests to your job posts so you can be confident in your applicant's ability. Their library of more than 50 skills tests range from industry-specific skills like accounting to general aptitude tests like critical thinking. Indeed gives you the smart tools to make hiring decisions quickly and to be confident that you're making the right hire for your team. Post your job today at Indeed.com slash Waltrip and get a free sponsored upgrade on your first posting. That's Indeed.com slash Waltrip. Terms, conditions, and exclusions apply. Offer valid through March 31st, 2020. Hey, it's Michael Waltrip. I'm in my living room here in Cornelius, North Carolina, but that doesn't mean we can't bring in a podcast. We're going to go at you with Waltrip Unfiltered, and I've got a great guest today, a very interesting guest, deep, deep about how our guest got to be um, a part, part of the NASCAR. His name is Josh Williams. And if his name has been in the news lately, it's because he won a big iRacing event last Sunday, the Replacements 100. On the last lap, he held off William Byron to get the victory. There's a lot of talk about possibly another big iRace this weekend. And we're going to ask Josh what it takes to be an iRacer. What is iRacing? How does one go about that? And can you just go up and race against Dell Jr.? I think the answer is you can. So we're going to ask Josh about all that. We're going to take some of your questions. We're going to hope that you'll tell your friends about Walter Unfiltered. They can get us on all the Fox Sports social channels. You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter, all those uh, different channels. I'm loving the, the podcast. We can talk racing. We're not racing yet. We're all being socially responsible, making sure we take care of one another. But it won't be long before we'll be back on the track, even if it's virtually, and it might be Sunday. So uh, thanks for watching Waltrip Unfiltered, and stay tuned. Josh Williams is coming your way. Hey, it's Michael Waltrip, another week of Waltrip Unfiltered. I'm coming to you from my living room in Cornelius, North Carolina. Great, great opportunity today to talk to my buddy, a great spotter, and obviously a great eye racer, Josh <laughs> Williams. He's made the, the, the headlines. It's been a big part of the news this week, Josh. First of all, congratulations on your huge huge win and uh secondly how's life that victory <laughs> thank you very much it's uh it's been really busy i made a joke the other day it's almost more busier for me winning this than winning a normal race so just been really busy doing a lot of radio and now some tv stuff so it's cool it's been a really good deal for our racing they got a lot of publicity from it we're getting all those drivers together so something fun we could bring to the fans while we we're at home for a little while well, here's what I will tell you. Your story is very interesting, and it's it's very complex. Uh, I wanted to congratulate you on that big win. I want to actually dig in. You became such a great eye racer, but right now, I think I want to go back in time, back when you were a baby, growing up in Martinsville, Virginia. Tell people yeah. tell people about how you got interested in NASCAR from the beginning. Uh, so I started out. Before I was even born, my grandfather was the general manager at Marshall Speedway. So he did that for 24 years. So he did it probably 
10 or 12 years before I was even born, he was doing that. And that introduced my, my father to racing. So my dad was always hanging around the racetracks, seeing whatever you could see. And he was a big David Pearson and Dale Earnhardt fan. So he ended up meeting Dale Earnhardt at a test session in Martinsville, just being the race fan, trying to get an autograph. So he met Dale that way, and they became good friends. And he ended up starting, he ended up working for Dale. He started when I was six months old. So my whole life has been involved in being around racing or in racing. And what was your, uh, your awesome guy, my souvenirs back in the, the 90s, he was a part of yeah. the, the world that just blew up around NASCAR with the die cast. I know you lived that. Uh, when was the first time you, you noticed a Dale Earnhardt t-shirt or you, you said that Dale Earnhardt guy is pretty cool? I was, I was the little kid selling the postcards out the back door for 25 cents that I shouldn't have been doing. That's what I was doing. So my whole life, I was used to Dale Earnhardt t-shirts. I'd wear Dale Earnhardt t-shirts everywhere. That was, that was my clothes wearing to school Monday through Friday. So my whole life, I've been around it. I didn't appreciate or understand how big Dale was being that little until I started growing up, which was in his later years the way it turned out. But my whole life, I've been around it. And it was it's a lot of fun to grow up that way because every weekend I'm, I was traveling to a race with my grandparents just to be at a racetrack to see my family. And I probably, you probably have one of the best souvenir collections in, in all of NASCAR, right? With all the years your father spent working with Dale and, and you being around Dale, uh, you've, you've got some nice stuff, I bet. Absolutely. I got, I got Earnhardt stuff since before I was born. I have some of my dad's toys when he was growing up. I have Martinsville Speedway stuff that they never made that my grandfather had. And then over the years since I've been spotting and been in the race and I've tried to get something from everybody I've worked with. So I love collecting it, would never sell a piece of it, but I just love having it on collecting it. And it's always a good story when somebody comes to visit. Well, I'll tell you this, what are you, 30 years old? 31. Yeah, I'm a good guesser of age. I could also guess your weight if you'd <laughs> like me to. Yeah, we're good. <laughs> so, here's here's what i'm going to guess that that if, if you could if you could take some photos around your house our viewers would would love to see them I, i've seen a little bit on twitter you're josh six williams is that you i'm josh t williams i'm, I'm not the real racer i'm not the, the extended extended extraordinary josh williams i'm just a spotter josh t williams so we let's, let's give a shout out let's give a shout out to josh six williams he's he's a good dude too he is. He's had a busy week on Twitter answering our racing questions. Yeah, yeah. So have y'all talked about that? The fact that, so for you viewers that are that are watching and listening to me and my buddy Josh, I have another buddy, Josh, and Josh Williams is a, no, you're a virtual. He's an actual race car driver. <laughs> he races in the Xfinity Series. He's a great dude. Josh Williams puts his car through inspection. He measures the, the chassis heights. He does. So, um, but, but you come to to great fame and and awesome awesome acknowledgement about your talent on iRacing. I don't want to get into all that yet. I wanted to ask you what what this week's been like for you, you know, for probably you and the other Josh Williams. <laughs> it's it's been crazy for me especially. Um, I was actually talking to Kevin Hamlin about Twitter yesterday. I had three hundred twenty three thousand impressions on Twitter in twenty four hours. And I gained uh, 1,300 followers. So that's pretty big numbers for me sitting at home, which is pretty crazy. But for the other Josh Williams, people get our Twitter accounts mixed up all the time. So he gets all kinds of tweets telling him congrats and stuff. And he actually, he texted me yesterday. He said, I really like when you do something good. 
And that's a yeah, like when you need something good too. <laughs> so we have fun well, with it. We always we play along with it a lot. Yeah, you should because you're both great, great dudes. And obviously, you know, we've talked a little bit about you growing up and and then the the great success you've had uh i racing um i want to go back to to growing up a bit the 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 the, the most obvious or path i thought you would have been to get into racing but you actually went in a different direction how did you become a such a, a accomplished golfer and when when did you decide that you know you were going to go golfing instead of go racing you know i uh in high school, we moved into the house that my parents lived in, and my neighbor was my agent. He played golf. So that was our way of bonding was just to go play golf when we weren't in school, and I got pretty decent at it. So I played golf all through high school and actually turned professional out of high school. And then I tried to do that for four or five years on the mini tours and had some success, but it's a hard way to make a living playing those mini tours. And it became, I obviously knew a lot of racers and stuff. Um, it became a time that I was friends with Scott Speed, and I was still trying to golf and kind of struggling with it. And he was um, running some of the smaller stuff in Cup. And he asked me if I'd be interested in coming to spot for him and basically go play golf on Saturdays and give him some lessons. So then there was a couple years there that I was spotting to pay for golf and then traveling with him trying to spot him to play golf at the same time. And it got to be the point I was spending all the money I was making spotting trying to play golf. So it turned into a full-time spotting job kind of because of golf. So it's a pretty cool story there. Yeah, definitely. And and how close, I think this is a very interesting story. I've, I've been fortunate enough to play golf with you. And obviously you're a, you're a par shooter at, at worst and generally better than that. How close do you think you were? Like how, how did you need, what needed to happen before you could become a professional golfer? I need to be more mature at the time, honestly. I, I play better now sometimes than I did then. And it's just being older and more mature. I kind of rushed it because I had talent, not understanding what it took to do it. I thought just talent would get me wherever I needed. And I kind of used up some good years there trying to just do it off the talent, not understanding how much work went into it. So just the timing of it was bad for me. I tried to rush into it after high school instead of taking my time and doing it the right way. But I still love it, and we all play as much as we can. So you, you decided that go down this road of, of helping Scott with his golf game and, and taking advantage yeah. of an opportunity opportunity to for him um when when did you start to think well, i guess i can make a living being a spotter i'm not sure well even with scott i didn't know because you're spotting for your buddy so you don't really your buddy's going to take care of you so you don't know how good you are until you venture off to do somebody else and uh, unfortunately scott ended up losing his cup ride there in 2013 and i went and spotted for michael mcdowell for about a half a year and that went pretty well and actually got a call from aj Almendinger spot for him so at the time that was a that was a big step for me like kind of going out of limb just spotting off of your talent not somebody you know so then i started doing aj through 2014 and then i switched over i got some phone calls from penske and started spotting for ryan blaney at the end of or beginning of 2015. okay this is to me this is an interesting story you know me a little bit and you know i've with my relationships over the years with spotters yeah, I, I, I couldn't ever really seem to get down with them a, a bit. <laughs> when, when did, how, how did you become so like that? That's interesting to me. You were a golfer and, and now you're going to be a spotter. How did, how did you develop? I know you've seen racing since you've been on the earth, so you know where the cars are supposed to go, but, but how yeah. did you 
adapt from being a fan, being a golfer, to being a a top NASCAR spotter? I think a lot of it to me was I grew up listening to it since I was a year old. Since I could hear, I was listening to a spotter. So a lot of it to me was kind of understanding the lingo of it and listening to Dale Senior to all those years. You kind of learned what to do and what not to do because he would tell you if it was wrong. So it was cool to me. Like I, I learned a little bit how to do it. Like never did it. But then with Scott, he was really patient with me to teach me every week. We would get home and he would try to teach me what to do and how to learn stuff. And he was really instrumental in me learning just how to spot. Um, so that was a that was a big learning curve, like actually talking and doing it. And then I think to me, playing golf all those years helped me to be a calm voice and say cool under pressure, but helped me just to kind of be calm and in the moment as a spotter, because you need that in your ear, you know, as a driver, you don't want somebody up there screaming. Right on. And so you went from Scott to McDowell and on down the road. Do you, do you, I mean, I'm sure adapting to different drivers' personalities is a key to being a great spotter, understanding that guy, what he wants, and then and how he's going to react, even though he calls you an asshole, he doesn't really, like, like all those are, all those are part of being a good spotter, I said. Yeah, it is. And you learn people over the years. And I think that's something that me and Ryan have learned over the years. A lot of times he can get excited in the car, kind of intense, but then as soon as it's over, he's like, oh, I'm sorry, man. I guess just in the moment and you shake it off. You understand some people need that. Some people need to like vent and let it go and kind of reset. And some people are always calm and take it on the chin and kind of go through the motion in there and don't get that intense on the radio. They don't push it all the time. So to me, it's just learning the guy you're with. It's fun. I like being held accountable. Like if I mess up, I want somebody to tell me I messed up. I want to get better. I don't want to just be running the mill. I want to always improve. So that's one thing I love with Ryan. If, if he needs something different, he's going to tell me. If he's upset, he's going to tell me. And we're going to talk it out and we're going to be cool adults after that. Do you think that a spotter is kind of a driver's punching bag? Like he's not going to cuss out his crew chief. They got... They got stuff they've got to work out. But do you think a spotter sometimes gets the brunt of all the, the emotion? Or or does he or does Ryan take it out on the other drivers that he's mad at? I think I get it sometimes when he's mad at other drivers. But I think to me it's like being in a relationship. And if somebody's always in your ear talking all the time, you're eventually gonna tell them to shut up. It's just the way it is. Like no matter who you are, you're gonna get upset. So when you're up there trying to do your job, he can't turn you off. So he's got to listen to you talk, and eventually he's going to be like, just be quiet, leave me alone. So I don't, it's not a personal thing. You kind of take it on the chin and move on, but he, uh, we get along with it. It's fine, just in the moment. Now, obviously, you've had some big moments as a spotter winning races with, with, with different drivers and Ryan specifically. What, uh, I know this is a, a very emotional subject, but, um, what what has been your your greatest moment on the spotter stand? When did you think, holy crap, I just I just gave that guy everything he needed and we won this race? What's been your most uh, the, your proudest moment as a spotter? I would say my proudest moment is probably a race we lost, and that's that's weird to say that, but in 2018 we led 140 laps or something like that at the Daytona 500. And that entire race was probably the most intense I've ever spotted. And just keeping him up front the whole day, obviously we didn't win it. We finished seventh race that year. But just how much work goes into those races to control them and be up front, it's, it's a lot of effort and a lot of work. And I feel like 99% of that race, every single thing I said was right. 
And that's one of those moments you kind of take with you. But obviously, we won Talladega last year in the playoff race when we needed to. That was a huge moment. And that was probably the biggest win. But same moment, like we could have done things better in that race. And you, you've been there. Like you win races sometimes that weren't really your best race, and you lose races that you feel like you did everything right. So that's to me, it's kind of how I see it. That Daytona race probably meant a lot to my career where winning last year was a huge win, but there was things we took away from that to be better this year. That's awesome. Let me show you something. I'm going to try to show the fans watching what it's like for you. I get up on the spotter stand thanks to Fox NASCAR. They let me come up and see you guys. And I went up and saw Derek Nealon last weekend in, in, um, in Phoenix when, when Reddick was doing such a great job, you know? And, and yeah. uh, there was a caution, and I, I wanted to talk to Derek, and he's like, no, no, I don't want the team to think I'm not focused. So you can talk, <laughs> talk about me, but don't talk to me. But even at Phoenix, this is what you guys look like on the spotter stand. To me, it's amazing. You've got, you've got binoculars, and you've got your finger on the button. And, and I can only – Phoenix is a mile. Daytona is two and a half miles. Can you try to tell people at home, what your process is like, how you're able to watch so closely, predict what other drivers are going to do, and help your guy do what he needs to do. It's extremely hard, especially when you get somewhere like Daytona and your tunnel visitors through binoculars for three and a half hours. You use them so much, you don't even realize you're holding them until the race is over. Like, your, your arms are up holding them the whole time, and you don't realize how much you're, like, you're so zoned into the race that you don't even realize you're using them sometimes. So... It's difficult. Um, the new package we ran the last year and a half has been a lot more difficult, but it's awesome for spotters because you feel like you can you can manipulate the cars a little better and kind of get your guys in the right spot to hold people off more than you could in years past. So to me, I, I love that challenge. Like that's that's the most fun as a spotter is a place where you can make a difference, which is why you know Daytona and Talladega is my favorite places to go to. Well, they're the most intense for sure, and the fact that Absolutely. you want to raise your game and go to those tracks say you know, bring it on. That that tells me yeah. that's a that's a winner's mentality. That's a guy that just says, you know, it's going to be hard, but that's what I want. Absolutely. You want to be in there and you want to make a difference. And that's the few places that you go to that you're like, all right, this my time to shine. You know, like a lot of what we do as spotters gets looked at in those four races that we go to. So you want to make the most of them. And I feel like me and Ryan as a group, our whole team as a group, is probably the, the guys to beat at Penske. Like, if you can beat Penske cars, you're going to have a good day. Well, that brings me to the emotional part. And if you could just walk us through it, I, I don't want to, I don't want you to go crazy or nothing, but walk us through the last couple of laps in the 2020 Daytona 500. Obviously, very, very difficult circumstances when, when the race, but you had your guy right there again, and I don't want to say you had your guy there because your guy had himself there, but you, you were his, you were his partner. What was the last couple of laps like? Because, you know, we obviously have been focusing on Ryan, um, Ryan Newman and rightfully so and his recovery and the great story that Ryan's fine and Ryan's going to race again. Um, but but there was there was so much that went into that finish. Denny Hamlin manipulating the air, doing what he was doing. What was it like for you? It was it was intense. Another one of those moments. I feel like that race was was intense all the way through. And there was a few times we made some mistakes and kind of shuffled our way back and worked back to the front. I feel like both the green white checkers we did everything right. I mean, 
coming off a of turn four, we were the perfect position backed up to Denny to get a big push and just kind of got a little loose and kind of got us behind Newman. And Ryan Blaney actually just tried to help him, tried to line up and just push him to line because we weren't going to win racing like that. So I think he just tried to help him and unfortunate circumstances kind of got Newman turned around there. But it's really intense. And like looking back on it, you feel like you did everything right and you lose by three feet. Um, but it's just that's plate racing. Sometimes you can do everything right and it just doesn't work out in the moment. And the way everything kind of played out there at the end, it was it's unfortunate, but it was like a perfect scenario for Denny to be able to side draft us when Newman got turned and there's all the momentum that Denny had just was a perfect scenario for him to get us at the line there. But looking back on it, I feel like we did we did everything we could to put ourselves in position to win that race. So that's that's all you can do as a spotter and a driver, really. Well, and and let's talk about that spotter driver relationship. Brian obviously was very upset when when he saw what all happened, what all went on. How do you talk him through that? And and then do you guys go back and look at what did right in that race to say um, we 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 really couldn't have changed anything? It's just it's just one guy. And I believe this. I believe this, Josh. Denny Hamlin overachieved on that last lap, and times. Especially do special things, and that might have been a case of that. Yeah, we, we always go back and look at it. Um, typically, we go on a Monday or Tuesday after the race, and we'll sit down and go through what we could have done better, what we did better, what we did good, um, what we should do better for the next time. And we always go through that. Daytona was a little bit of a different situation just because everything that happened in the emotions after that race, everybody was just kind of supportive of everybody. It wasn't about our job at the time. It was about our brother being safe, you know, like, our job didn't matter at that point. It was somebody's livelihood to be in a good situation, and that all played out better. So in that situation, we actually even hadn't really talked about what we could have done better at Daytona. Um, but I agree with you. Like, Denny's our buddy. He overachieved on the last lap. We'll give him that. Um, yeah. But he earns it. He, he's really good at plate racing. He's one of the guys that you beat him, too, you're going to be there at the end. Right on. All right, we've covered the spotter angle a lot. I know it's difficult for you to be at home home uh, not on the road your livelihoods you know going to the, the races and we all expected to be there but this um this 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 moment in time that we're living in with with coronavirus i mean we just have to to be smart and, and be responsible and i think nascar's done a nice job of saying uh we'll, we'll be back as soon as we can but as soon as we can looks like could be may and until then uh, social distancing um, make sure you take care of each other, wash your hands. If you're sick, stay home. Um, I get all that and I'm, I'm living that. In fact, that's, that's where I'm at right now. How are you as we do our, yep. our, uh, Fox NASCAR podcast? Um, how difficult is it for you and, and what are you doing to pass time? Or are you getting to, I think you can, I think we can play golf as long as we ride separate carts or walk or something, but what, what is, what's going on in your world right now? And I'm, I'm getting to my point in a minute, which is iRacing. But other than iRacing, what's going on in Josh's world? Well, luckily, when me and you play golf, we're not really close to each other. So we don't really get too close when we're playing. That's but just, for that's me, just, it's, that's just mean, Josh. I know exactly what I'm you sorry. mean. You're 325. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, me, you know, a lot of iRacing and, and trying to study for races. So when we do come back, we're ready to go. Like, it's kind of a... It's a point to me that you can get better at what we've done so far in the year and build on that. We've had a good start to the year. So to me, it's just trying to build on that. Like I want to take everything as a positive and make the most out of it. And 
I think it's going to be really, really exciting when we get started back because it's going to be a lot of racing and you're going to have a lot of guys amped up, ready to go. So to me, it's being ready to go for that. And then other than that, I racing like I would do on a normal Tuesday or Wednesday night with my buddies and having fun with that and maybe a little golf every once in a while when I get invited. Right on. Well, um, you had a big win Sunday, the replacements 100. And you had to hold off William Byron. There were many cup stars in the field. Uh, people might just watch that race or hear about it and think, you know, Josh, Josh stepped up and won that race. But you mentioned it. There's a whole lot that goes on behind the scenes of, of you guys. And I've been able to see, see distance and watch uh, some of my buddies race as well. But eye racing is intense and that race Sunday was a was a huge moment I think for you but also for eye racing because there's more people talking about it than ever it's been really busy and it's been a non-stop situation since we finished racing Sunday and I think it's just eye racing is a great tool it's a great place to have a community get together and race we me and William we raced a bunch on there which kind of showed him in the race that we were the fastest two we raced a couple of nights a week, me and him were on there together for a few hours. So it's it's really good for our racing to kind of have some kind of competition and competitive vibe going on while we're going through everything. And it's it's good to get all the drivers involved. A lot of those guys have our racing accounts, but don't race in many races. Just kind of use it as a as a test session to get on there and practice. So it was really cool to get everybody involved. And obviously, it was really cool for me to get the win, get a little bragging rights for a little while. Oh, it, it was huge. A lot of people are talking about it. I want to step back, though. We talk about iRacing. Say you're just a fan casually listen to, to listening to Walter Bunfiltered. iRacing, what's it stand for? What's What goes into it? Can anyone do it? You get so good at it. What? Give, give me some of the background and details of iRacing in general. So iRacing used to be Papyrus, which was the NASCAR games in the early 2000s. Um, they it's basically an online simulator. Anybody can go in there and create an account. I think it costs $15 a month. You go in there and create an account, download the, the tracks and the cars, and get to racing. You don't need much. You can get a, an average PC or an average laptop and $150 wheel and pedals, and you're ready to go racing in a couple hours. So it's it's a good way to just get on there and compete. Um, there's over 100,000 members, and at any given time, there's probably four or 5,000 people on there racing. And you can race anything from all the NASCAR cars to sprint cars, all the dirt stuff, um, V8 supercars, F1 cars, Indy cars, uh, super stadium trucks. They have those on there now. There's any kind of car vehicle you can think about driving pretty much is on there. And all the tracks are laser scanned. So they actually go to all these tracks and scan them with surveying equipment, basically. And all the tracks are identical. So. I know one big thing they just did was scan North Wilkesboro back in December. So that'll be coming out before long. So a lot of cool places like that, kind of keeping the history and heritage going of places being on the racing. And it's cool for me because I can get on there and run a, a V8 supercar at some track overseas and run a place that I would never go or never get to see and kind of get a feel for what that car is because they're all different. Well, and I think that's a great point, Josh, because you appreciate what the view from the driver's seat is on iRacing because you're you're up above all these racetracks watching these guys race. And when you, my experience with iRacing is when I get in a car and go for a ride, I'm like, holy shit, this looks just like Charlotte Motor Speedway. 
the grandstands, everything. That's that's got to be pretty cool for you to be able to have view that you wouldn't have if it weren't for iRacing. It's it's really cool, and you kind of can get the sense of where people are at, like what people are getting affected by the air because there's arrow on there. So you kind of me and William racing all day with me blocking his air a little bit. So it's you get a feel for that and kind of understand what what Ryan's trying to do in the car and what I need to maybe help with every once in a while. So. It's a really good tool. Um, there's things you can take from it to go to real life, and there's some things that are everything's virtually made on there. So there's some things that kind of can be better. But it's really it's a great way to learn and get the sense of what is going on inside of a car that you can't get really off of off a of TV or just watch it from a camera. It's really a cool view. Well, and it, it make like if I'm Ryan, I'm glad Josh has beat William Byron and and all the <laughs> other comers in the replacement 100 because that means you understand, you you see, you feel, you got a good grasp of what it takes to win against the best. Yeah, I think it it helps a little bit just to kind of understand the difference in like taking care of a tire or something like that through the game. Um, I wouldn't put a whole lot of stock in beating William because I'm sure if we go to the go-kart track right now, he's going to beat me. So I wouldn't put a whole lot of stock in beating those guys, but it's a, it's a good way to be competitive and try to find an edge over them that way. Yeah, I love it. You talked about rigs, uh, just a, maybe a, a, a steering wheel and some pedals, but other drivers have full-blown cars that, you know, cages that they get in. Do you feel like yeah. that gives them an advantage or, or, or is it okay just to have, because I, I love Ty Majeski. He's such a good, good, good racer, great racer, good kid, a really positive attitude. He's done some great things in the trucks. He put a picture on Twitter the other day of his rig and it was as simple as you could get. Is it? Does it matter what you have to be able to win? I don't think it matters much. I mean, you look at Ty, he's the best on there ranking-wise, and he's got one of the probably the cheapest setups and rigs you can do. So I don't think it it doesn't matter much. I mean, you get a wheel with a little bit of force feedback in it, so you can kind of feel the bumps, and you're ready to go. So it's all personal preference. How, how cool do you want it to look, really? It's, it's, a, it's an ego thing. You want a nice-looking rig, or you want a, a wheel clamped to your desk in your office? So I have a, I have a nice rig. It's a little bit nicer than Ty's, but he's also better than all of us. So it don't really, it don't matter. It's personal preference and, and what level you can get into a four to do it. What what, what was Ty's on Sunday? Ty could not race. He had to do something else on Sunday, so he wasn't around. I he thought Dell Junior was. I thought it was in it though, right? Dell Junior was in it. I think he finished seventh or eighth. So he actually built a rig like mine not too long ago. So he's just now getting back into it a little bit more. Um, he runs a lot of street stocks and dirt cars and stuff like that. He's getting into all that. So he's getting better. He's getting back into it, back in the swing of things. Another driver that was, no, not driver. Another guy that was in it was Tim Duggar. Country Music oh. had him on my podcast last week. I love Duggar. I think he finished 22nd. Let me ask you this question, Josh. If, if I were to get in, never much racing experience, could I beat Duggar at least? I would say give yourself about 30 minutes, you could beat Duggar. Yeah. 30 minutes, you could get him. It would take what? you probably five minutes to make a lap. But then after that, you'd be good. Okay. And, and how would you compare iRacing to karaoke singing? If, if, if you're a great iRacer, does that make you a good karaoke singer or no? I would, no. It kind of goes with dancing. It's because you think you can do it. You can't do it. No, it takes a lot of practice. Yeah, you ought to do Dancing with the Stars if you ever thought you were a crappy dancer. Then 
you would you would know uh, in a hurry. I'm an, am I an iRacing star now? Is that, that's the only way I'm going to get on there is being a big time replacement winner. Well, let's talk about moving forward. No, there's a lot of rumblings around the NASCAR world about possibly a big race on Sunday uh, with some of the Cup guys, current race that are going to be in it. I'm sure a lot of that were in the race last weekend. What can you tell us so far? Uh, from from what you've heard is going to happen Sunday. Are they going to race? I haven't heard much of it other than they're trying to get a bunch of drivers to be in one place at one time to be in a race. So I don't I don't know much about names and who is going to be in it, but I have heard some rumblings of a lot of drivers getting invited to try to get on a rig somewhere. So mine may or may not already be rented out for Sunday for somebody to get on it. So are you not going to be on it? No, that's only going to be drivers. So... I think they're trying to get all the cup guys, maybe some extended guys and truck guys, but only drivers. So are you, yeah. you have to share it now. Do what? I said, do you have information you're not sharing right now? No, I wish I had more. That was it. I have not been invited yet. If I'm on it, I haven't been invited. I don't think they want me to win. Yeah. They, they need some big name to win. No, you don't. Like that, that was an awesome story you winning last weekend, but I, I'm hearing that there's going to be a big I race on Sunday and tell our listeners, viewers, cool that will be for, I, you know, an I racer to, to see these NASCAR stars go head to head against one another and maybe a, a bigger audience, more people watching than ever before, perhaps on, on TV, who knows, podcast, uh, and, and, how how big is that for iRacing? I think it's it's great for all the Irish community community just to relate to it. When you can get on there and run tracks that you see your other guys running, and you might pick up on something that one of those drivers do on that track that you haven't tried, and you want to get in there and try it. So you can watch them on on TV on a real race track anytime, but you can't just go to the real Atlanta and make laps and run what somebody's doing. So it's cool to get on that game and you kind of see what line somebody's running and try it. I've actually had four or five DMs on Twitter, people asking me what I was doing in Atlanta to save my tires. So it's quite funny that happened. Um, one of them was, well, before we raced Saturday or Sunday, Dale Jr. texted me on Wednesday, asked me how I was saving my tires because we raced a race in Atlanta. So everybody's looking for a tip on there. Um, but it's really great for the community. It's great for iRacing because a lot of people that don't have a computer or don't get to see that kind of digital part of it don't get to see iRacing that much. So it's a cool way for people that can't travel to all the races to kind of get involved and, and be able to turn laps and run laps at some of these virtual racetracks and, and watch all their heroes race on maybe this Sunday on TV. So how cool was it for your friend, a, a, a guy you watched grow up, Dale Jr., to call you and ask you for advice about driving? That had to be pretty special. <laughs> it was. It's, uh, I'm sure he's got a lot more tips than I had there, but me and him, so we raced a race on Wednesday. It was just a, a regular iRacing race um, in the A-Fix series. So anybody could get in. Me and him got in there, and we started 20th and 23rd. We started way in the back, and the race went green. It was like a 50-lap race, and I think I finished fifth, and he was like seventh. And he followed me up through there the whole time. So he texted me like, what are you doing for your tires, man? How are you taking care of your tires? And all <laughs> so it was pretty cool. It's, I run a lot on there, so I kind of – know the nuances of those cars and kind of how the tracks react so he was trying to do that and i actually noticed sunday i watched some of the the rewind of it and he was trying to do it too there so he's learning yeah right on how many hours do you spend a week because to me it's not goofing off it's 
it's it's you know honing your craft as a spotter who knows what's ahead for you on i racing if it's more races and i have two questions how much time do you spend on i racing a week and b what did he pay did you get any money um so a my time i spent a normal week a normal monday through thursday i probably spend 10 or 12 hours i'd say probably three hours a night three four hours a night when i'm home and nothing's going on um so i spend quite a bit of time on there normally i'm a late person so normally a 10 p.m to 2 a.m type guy and then what did i win i won a hooters vip card free hooters for a year Ooh. yeah which i'll take you whenever that comes in the mail and i love I one i do too um and then i won a jacket from a guy that does design work for actually some of the fox people um down in charlotte it was a custom bomber jacket so i got fair for that and that'll be here for a couple weeks so right now that's all we've won um but the hooters deal was, that was a really good deal i'm looking forward to that that's a gift that'll keep giving oh 365 days they're gonna get tired of me going <laughs> uh so me uh regan all the jeff gordon plus folks that that are on the fox team we want to we, we want to see more and we want you know we want to see how those guys race against each other and we we certainly want a guy like you to be a part of that because you're so uh so into the sport you were born in nascar and now you've uh, you've made a career of it after after trying to be a golfer i think your story is very interesting and i i really appreciate and i want to tell a story about your golfing but i just want to tell you how much i appreciate uh who you are and and how you conduct yourself uh and and and, and what you've been able to accomplish in our sport i appreciate that my uh my road's been curvy to get here, going through golf and a few other avenues trying to make it, but I'm really blessed to be in the sport that I was, you know, born and raised in, basically. So I'm really lucky to do what I do. I love doing it. I love working with Ryan and just really blessed to do everything we get to do. And when we're home for a while, I get to do some eye racing every once in a while. So it's been a cool story and it's been a lot of publicity from it, actually, more than I was expecting. But, you know, just we're all blessed to be in NASCAR and, and do this for a living, every one of us that have made careers out of it and some that are still trying to make careers. So it's been a good ride so far. I love it. Appreciate it. I got a couple of questions for some listeners. Do you mind if I, I pose those to you? Bring, yep, bring it on. All right, bring it on. Kenny from Omaha wants to know, what is your favorite golfing memory? And I think that's a great question because we've talked about a lot of racing memories. What's your favorite golf? Uh, my favorite golfing memory is with a guy named Michael Waltrip. That and I, I was hoping this was with. the answer. <laughs> Has to you be know, I know exactly where you're going. Bucket list trip. Uh, I guess it was two years ago now. After Sonoma, we stayed out there and went to Pebble Beach and played 72 holes of golf in two days. Well, day and a half. Um, but that was awesome. We got to play Pebble Beach. We played Spyglass Hill. We played Spanish Bay. Uh, got to be all there right there on 17-mile drive. That was a bucket list trip that if anybody ever gets to go, I would I would go back tomorrow if I could. I love that place. That was an awesome trip. But thanks to you, we got to go. Um, but that was definitely bucket list. I've got to do a lot of stuff in golf and play with a lot of people, but that was, that was top of the list right there. Well, tell people about 18 at Pebble because and tell them oh. what the caddy said. That, that, that was so, something that I've experienced. 
as as a casual <laughs> golfer watching what you did on 18 at Pebble. Yeah, so 18 at Pebble, par five around the ocean there. I hit a driver down the middle and hit a three wood to about 20 feet. And walking up to the green, the caddy's like, I've never seen, I've only seen one other person hit it on this green in two. And me and my like, ha, that's cool, whatever, ha, ha. And then I made the putt for Eagle to shoot even. And he's like, I've only seen one other person make Eagle. <laughs> so it was, a, it was a cool story. We took a ton of pictures there. You did a little a little commentating walking up to the green before I made my Eagle putt. I actually still have that video. So that was playing Pebble for the first time and maybe the only time. And making Eagle was really, really cool. The, you the might have more said story. He, the, the, the caddy said he had seen a few people chip in for Eagle, but never seen like only one other people. And I think it was Rory or it was, it was some, it was a famous golfer. He said, hit it on in two and made a putt and you were the only other one. That's, I mean, that makes you pretty in pretty rarefied air. I'm telling you, I bet Rory hasn't won an eye racing race though. So I think I'm one up on it. <laughs> That's right. There you go. All right. Uh, Susan from Ohio. And this is uh, the last question. I know you got, I racing to do, but Susan from Ohio wants to know, and I think it's because she's from Ohio. She said, Blaney is from a family of racers. How, how does that, how does your relationship, I'm paraphrasing, she basically wants to know, since you've been in racing your whole life, does that give you and Ryan a lot of things in common? I think it helps just to understand the day-to-day -day stuff he has to go through with racing. It's not always, it's not always funny games. It's not always soup and all. There's a lot of business part that goes into it Monday through Thursday. So I think to me, it helps to understand how much he is going through. And when I, when we talk and we have a conversation, whatever, like I value the time he has. It's not just for fun and, and dragging him out just to take away his time. I know what time is valuable to him. And I think that's from growing up and I understand how much goes into it and any little bit of time you can get to like do your work and stay focused together not kind of goof off. So I think that's a big thing is I don't bother him all the time. If I bother him, it's because we really need something. Right on. Well, Josh, I've really enjoyed chatting with you. Thanks for joining me on my podcast. Uh, stay safe. Stay, um, stay smart. If you don't feel good, stay home. If you go outside, wash your hands. All the things that I've heard, I guess it's just important for me to think about my friends and make sure we're all doing the, the, the things that we're supposed to do in order to help combat this this virus and and keep ourselves safe so that when it's time to go racing again we'll all be ready and i just i wish you the best and congratulations on your huge win and i'm looking forward to looking forward to see if you weasel your way or wedge your this big race coming up on sunday if it, if it definitely goes down it would be cool i think you know a lot of people involved in that so maybe you can put in a good word for me uh, i'll definitely do that i really appreciate you buddy <laughs> Hey, thank you for everything. Enjoy it. We'll go tee it up sometime when we're allowed to. You're, you're, you're certainly, that's a great idea. I look forward to it. Yes, sir. Thank you. Man, that was a lot of fun. And when I was a kid, I raced matchbox cars on the floor. And then I raced sock cars and then won some races. But now there's just out there. We can't go off the track. We have to be socially responsible. We can watch iRacing. And one of the best iRacers probably in the country is Josh Williams and getting to hear his stories and how he became a, a NASCAR and what all went into his world. I just, I loved it. So I hope you enjoy it. hope you'll tell your friends about us. They can add us on their favorite podcast 
at Walter Fun Filter. We're right there. They can look at the Fox Sports social media channels and check out clips of us, Instagram, Twitter. But um, forward to checking in next week uh, for another great edition of Walter Fun Filter. Thank y'all.